Today, I interview Terry Malare. Terry has just co-authored a book with Klaus Schwab called COVID-19, The Great Reset. The book is a guide for anyone who wants to understand how COVID-19 disrupted our social and economic systems and what changes will be needed to create a more inclusive, resilient, and sustainable world going forward. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Exponential Organization podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. The purpose of this podcast is to bring you thought leaders from around the world, giving input into how you and your organizations can grow exponentially. This show is sponsored by Ideastorm, a leading exponential growth consultancy that can provide services ranging from an hour advisory call with a network of over 5,500 consultants worldwide through to the 10-week EXO Sprint. So visit www.ideastorm.ca.za to find out more. So while I'm here, won't you do me a favor? If you like this podcast, won't you tell others about it? This would be fantastic. Now on with the interview. Today, our guest is Terry Malare. Terry is the co-founder and principal author of The Monthly Barometer, an analytical and predictive newsletter on macro issues for high-level decision makers. He has written several business and academic books and has published four novels, two under a pen name, also sits on its several advisory boards. The reason why we're speaking to and Terry, and thank you so much for giving us your time, is that you've co-authored a book with Klaus Schwab titled COVID-19, The Great Reset. COVID-19, The Great Reset is a guide for anyone who wants to understand how COVID-19 disrupted our society and economic systems and what changes will be needed to create a more inclusive, resilient, and sustainable world going forward. So welcome to the podcast, Terry. Hello, Lance. Thank you so much for having me. And where am I speaking to you from today? Well, today I'm in the office in Chamonix. Chamonix is a mountain resort in in France, in the French Alps, very near Switzerland. Very near Geneva, in fact. It's a one-hour drive from Geneva. Now, when I looked you you up on the internet, the pictures of you in front of mountains. And so are you a mountain climber? Is that what you do as your... As your activity? Yes, I am. A, I am a mountain climber. Uh, I love the mountains, and I even try to make it a business in the sense that my clients are you know, prominent families, private investors, global CEOs, and I'm trying to work with them in the mountains. Um, so instead of having um, a meeting in a dark room in a hotel or in a in an office, uh, I will take them to the mountains, um, and we'll have workshops not a workshop but a workshop <laughs> meaning that um, we, we we work like um, while walking or even climbing and, and ski touring sometimes and in fact and i wrote a book about this uh, three years ago called uh, 10 good reasons to go for a walk in fact there is ample evidence in the neuroscience and uh, the medical literature that you make better decisions when you're outside and you engage into mild physical activity so there is a good reason for doing so. It enables better decisions. Well, they, they definitely say, and I've seen, that when you go for a walk, you get your best ideas. Absolutely. There is no doubt whatsoever about this. You get more creative, you make better decisions, you have more ideas, um, and you communicate more clearly as well. Terry, can you give us an overview of your career to date? Um, yeah, yes. Um, so I had a very uh, varied career Um uh, I'm, I'm 58, and when I started my career, uh, I changed job every two years, and uh, at that time, it was perceived as being uh, crazy. I think today, it's become the norm. Um, you know, most of my colleagues are very young people, below 30 of age, and um, 
and uh, I, I realized when I talked to them that in fact they don't want to have a career, they want to have a portfolio of activities, do very different things. So that's what I did um, many, many years ago. I started my career um, in the Prime Minister's office in Paris for so three years, and then I moved to academia, think tank uh, in the US, um, in Oxford, in the UK, uh, and then I moved to investment banking in London, uh, in Russia, and then I moved to the World Economic Forum in Geneva. I was head of the uh, Davos um, program team for, for several years. I founded the Global Risk Network. Um, um, I even co-wrote a book with one of your compatriots, Sean Cleary, on uh, global risk. Oh. Um, and then I left the forum about um, 15 years ago to create my, my own companies. So we have several companies, um, three of which are, are based in, in Germany. The book COVID-19, The Great Reset. So thank you so much for writing it. Uh, I read it um, this last week and I found it very, very interesting. Um, thank what you, is <laughs> what is your object? What was the object in writing it? Well, the objective was fairly clear from the uh, outset. So I co-wrote it with um, with Klaus Schwab, who is the um, uh, co-founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. Yeah. And um, Klaus and I have been convinced for many, many years now that um, you know, most of us uh, tend to think in uh, in silos. Uh, we are comfortable in the area. Um, in which we, we operate. Um, uh, we are very much biased by the studies we, we did. So, uh, you know, if we are uh, an economist, we'll think along economic lines. If we are a political scientist, we'll think along political science lines. If we're a business person, it will be business, etc., etc. So, uh, in today's world, which is incredibly interconnected, interdependent, complex, volatile, turbulent, uh, you can only succeed if you if you connect the dots between different categories. Um, so you have to embrace the holistic perspective of the world in order to be able to understand what what is going on. So the idea of COVID, well, immediately, first of all, immediately when COVID um, began, started, uh, both both class and I had the uh, conviction that it was a defining moment, that it would change everything. Um, because at that time, when you talk to experts, you know, virologists, epidemiologists, public health specialists, we knew that it was going to be big. Um, many people were still in denial in the early months of 2020, but when you talk to experts, you could understand that um, the pandemic was going to be a, a momentous event. So the idea of the book was to really offer a, a holistic perspective about what the COVID-19 pandemic might entail um, in, in, for, for, for the world as a whole. Um, so for the you know, macro categories that um, matter to us, for industries, for businesses, and also for us uh, as, as individuals, as human beings. How do, you, how do you see the Great Reset and how do you see the world in a year's time? Well, um, it might be the same, but just worse. Um, uh, or we might take the other road, um, the other fork of the road, which is to take advantage of the crisis, a very deep existential crisis that is impacting us all at the moment, um, to, to build back better, as the expression goes. Mm. Um, so when, you know, when we started researching the book, it became absolutely clear, also from, from history, that uh, uh, pandemics are you know, existential shocks, there are major shocks to the economy, to societies, to our political systems. And, um, and very often, 
they act as a magnifies, as they amplify pre-existing risks. So it's not that the pandemic came out of the blue and started to uh, have an impact on, um, on the economy, on societal issues, on the environment, etc. Many of the problems that are being amplified at the moment are pre-existing issues. So for years, for example, um, the global risk uh, people have been discussing the the big problem of um, rising inequalities around the world. Um, for for years, we've been discussing uh, debt issues, the fact that much of the world is overleveraged. For years, we've been discussing the problem of climate change and the environment and the loss of biodiversity, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et so now, what the pandemic is doing is to um, bring these big issues to the fore. Uh, to amplify them. It has amplified every single issue that I just uh, named. And um, in that sense, um, it is exacerbating the problems that we're already facing um, before the pandemic started, but it has laid bare the effect that they're having on our economies and societies. I love how in the book you say, you know, that the COVID is not a black swan, it's a white swan, but it's resulted in several black swans. I I look at Davos... And I look at Davos every year and I think, surely the world's going to change after this Davos. You know, they always speak about climate change and then the world returns to normal. And I'm really, really hoping that after COVID-19, that the world does significantly change, but it's so much easier for humanity just to go back to the way it was. It's a big question. Of course, it's a, it's a, it's a major question being posed by, by COVID-19. Um, well, now we, we know for, for sure, it's an absolute certainty that unless we change the way we do things, um, we, are go, we are going to face um, a very deep existential crisis. Um, you know, the, the, the threat of social unrest uh, posed by inequalities, the threat, the existential threat posed by climate change, etc. All these, again, have been laid bare by the pandemic. So we have to two possibilities, really, um, two, two very simple choices. One is to go back to business as usual, and it would be an absolute catastrophe. And one would be um, to, to take the better road, uh, to build back better, to take into consideration all these issues that have been um, revealed by, by COVID and of which every single human being is now aware of. And, um, and rebuild our economies and societies in a way that makes them sustainable and more resilient. Phew, I hope so. And, and, you know, the riots in America are just so pertinent and illustrate what you're saying, you know, about unrest, et cetera, that's happening. So, yeah, no, I, so, sorry, uh, Lance. I, yes, I, absolutely. And uh, you said white swan, black swans. And uh, yes, the pandemic uh, is a white swan because every every aspect and many policymakers have been warning us about the danger of a pandemic for the past 15 years. I recall that when I was in charge of the Davos program back in the early 2000s, every year we had a session, um, often led by Bill Gates, warning our participants about the pandemic, uh, yeah. telling everybody it's not, um, it's not if, it's when. We are going to face a pandemic. And now, we know that zoonotic uh, diseases like um, COVID-19 are being exacerbated by, um, by the loss of biodiversity, by the non-respect of natural assets, etc. So we're going to face more of them. Um, so 
the pandemic, the current pandemic, has this amazing propensity to create um, what you may call them black swans um, or, or uh, to exacerbate existing issues. And I want to provide two examples. Uh, one is uh, the, the social unrest that are taking place uh, in the US at the moment and that have engulfed to a large extent much of the world. And in the book, um, we, we explain that this is not um, just by chance that it, it's happening at this very moment. Um, mm. There is um, a theory in um, social science called biographical evidence uh, showing and proving that um, when many, many people are unemployed, the propensity to demonstrate increases because you have more time to do so. And that's exactly what has happened in the US. When George Floyd was killed, um, there have been many similar instances in the US over the past few years, I think 100 of them plus, and yet um, um, it erupted with the um, death of um, George Floyd. Um, similarly, a very small, it's not a black swan either, but it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a major risk, which is again bubbling to the surface, um, which nobody's talking about very much. Um, there is a resumption of conflict um, uh, on the border between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Um, the two countries have been at war for many, many years. And, uh, and similarly, um, having talked to you know, the Armenian authorities, um, whom I know well, it's obvious uh, that the pandemic was a determining element in, the, um, in, in prompting this resumption of um, hostilities between the two countries. You could say the same about uh, the conflict that took place um, um, in the Himalayas between uh, India and China, and so on and so forth. So the point is this, um, the um, COVID-19 pandemic has an incredible propensity to exacerbate the existing global risks that we face. Yeah, and in Johannesburg, South Africa, we really, really are experiencing the, a really difficult time here. Like, but maybe it's amplified here in South Africa because the economy was at a knife edge before, um, COVID-19 and now that's accelerated that as well. So we really are taking strain here. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we always tend to think uh, you, your business is about exponential um, uh, growth, um, which, is, which is great because this is essentially what the pandemic is all about. And uh, mm -hmm. um, in the book, we explain how, how difficult it is to, to grasp the notion of, um, of exponential growth. It's very, very hard and so hard cognitively that we often develop uh, what scientists call cognitive myopia. We underestimate the effect of um, exponential growth because we don't understand what it is. Well, uh, behind exponential growth, there is the, 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 the evidence that we do not live in a linear world. We live in a, you know, in a quantum world, um, which is dominated by, um, by inflection points, um, uh, beyond which events cascade. So in the case of South Africa, as, as you just said, uh, the problems were bubbling before the pandemic and they're being made much worse by, by the pandemic. So it's true for most, most markets, most countries around the world. Mm. And so that leads us to the contents of your book. So it's really nicely divided into macro reset, micro reset and individual reset. What do you mean by the macro reset and what do you think is going to come about from the macro reset? Right. Okay. Macro reset is, um, is something quite simple. When we, when, we, when we think about the world of today and of tomorrow, we need to have a framework for organizing our thinking. 
And what we propose in the book is a very simple framework um, alongside five macro categories, which uh, encompass every single dimension uh, of the world today. So we think along um, five categories, uh, economics, um, geopolitics, society, the environment, and tech. Uh, we offer this very simple framework for, for helping our readers to think about, about the world. And, um, and what we uh, explain you know, in a nutshell in the book is that uh, if you take the first three categories, economy, society, and geopolitics, the pandemic is going to make every single one of them um, more, more, more difficult, uh, more troublesome in the, in the years ahead of us. So for the very simple reasons that I just gave um, a few minutes ago, uh, because the pandemic is exacerbating the current problems that we've been facing for, for so many years. Um, so it amplifies um, the, the risks and um, it's a very prominent feature of today's world. Um, the world has become so interdependent because of technology and globalization that risks concatenate with each other. So we explain in the book that, you know, you cannot consider economic risks in isolation from geopolitical risks or geopolitical risk in isolation from um, societal risks because they're completely intertwined. Um, and it's obvious, you know, um, as you just said with the Black Lives Matters movement, um, an economic risk unemployment has very rapidly cascaded into a societal risk, which is social unrest. Mm. Um, similarly, um, something that we discuss in the book as well, uh, if you take the risk of um, climate change, um, so an environmental risk is going to entail a, a dramatic increase in um, mass migration because people will have to leave regions, entire regions, um, and will migrate towards more hospitable regions. So an environmental risk will cascade into uh, a societal and geopolitical risk and, and so on and so forth. So economics, geopolitics and society is going to be much more complicated in the years ahead of us simply because of the effect of the pandemic, uh, for example, on you know, the level of unemployment, uh, the great indebtedness of the world, etc. Yeah. And then there is environment, and for the environment, we are much more optimistic, in fact, um, uh, arguing in the book that COVID-19 has made us much more aware of the importance of nature for a host of reasons that I don't have time to um, you know, expand now um, on the podcast, but um, we provide the reasons in the book. Um, uh, many, many people have come to realize that um, nature, um, is the antidote to most of today's heels. You know, we, we need nature. It's absolutely, um, it's quintessentially important to us. And, uh, and now there is a growing realization that um, um, climate change um, is only one component of the uh, fight for, for um, preserving our natural um, assets, um, which is also going, by the way, to become a predominant investment theme in the coming years. So COVID, because of many similarities in terms of risks between the pandemic and climate change, has made us much more aware of this. And there is already a lot of evidence that um, uh, many countries are going to make the um, fiscal assistance um, program conditional upon greener policies. You know, it's very obvious in Europe, which is clearly the continent ahead of everybody else in the domain, but it's also true for so many countries around the world. Um, so there is 
you know, light for um, optimism. Uh, I mean, a reason for, for being a bit, a bit more optimist because we're now much more aware of the importance of nature and, and climate change, etc. Understanding that light pandemic, it is an existential risk. Mm. And that there is technology, and technology is, um, you know, the um, unmistakable um, winner uh, of the pandemic. Uh, the pandemic has uh, pushed digitization everywhere, and technology is um, clearly um, the domain that is uh, emerging with, with strengths uh, from, from the pandemic. Um, it raises many issues in terms of you know, what some academics have called surveillance capitalism, issues about uh, privacy, issue about rights, issue about how we control the intrusion of uh, technology in our lives. But it is clearly a domain that is expanding um, very much, um, that will be expanding very much in the post-pandemic era. Yeah. So in a nutshell, this is what we, we mean by uh, macro reset. Well, that's good about climate change. And I, and I see the renewable energies, like you said, in uh, you know, Sweden and the Nordic countries in particular, they seem to be really, really driving those renewable energies, uh, and which is fantastic. And so, Thierry, I opened up, uh, I, I told my community, which consists of 5,500 people worldwide, that I'll be interviewing you, and did they have any questions? So one of the questions was, different countries have been handling the pandemic in different ways. Um, and so I just wanted to ask you, which model, according to you, has been the most effective one? Which country you know, has handled it the best way? That's something that drew a balance between both lives and livelihood or lives and economy. And you explain that brilliantly in your book, by the way, where you, know, you say that that decision about whether to focus on the economy or their lives is actually not the right question because the economy is affected either way. But um, Absolutely. Going back to that question, though, which, which countries do you think have handled it the best at the moment? Okay. Well, I, first of all, I want to be prudent. Uh, we're just six months into the pandemic. Um, there is still a phenomenal amount of uh, unknowns about the pandemic. And um, it's interesting to see that today countries that were incredibly successful in the early stages at containing the pandemic, like um, Hong Kong and, um, and Israel, are now facing um, uh, not an uncontrollable situation yet, but uh, a surge in, in cases. So you can be very successful one day and cease to be successful um, another day. Um, but you know, the pattern that is emerging from, from what has happened over the past six months, um, and leaving aside the example of China that has been very successful after, um, you know, after the initial um, mistakes um, that were made that has been very successful in the pandemic through extremely coercive policies but if you yeah. look at uh, if you look at um, countries that have done remarkably well and that are countries in which the pandemic is uh, still um, under control like um, like singapore like uh, many countries in east asia um, like uh, germany in europe like uh, uruguay um, in, in Latin America, which is an exception, which is an outlier oh, wow. on the continent. Yeah. Well, you, you can see that in all these countries, um, uh, first, there is a very high level of social trust in the sense that um, um, citizens coalesce around the decisions made by the policymakers and have trust in the uh, discourse of the policymakers. Oh. Um, you know, to go back to Germany, um, probably one of the reasons for which Germany was so successful is that, uh, well, first, Angela Merkel is a biologist by, by training, so she told the, she's, 
she spoke the truth from the very beginning and she was credible. Mm. And uh, so that's one factor uh, of success. Uh, the other factor of success is that all these countries were prepared. Um, you know, they were prepared, they knew it was coming, they had enough uh, PPEs, um, they had enough uh, beds in uh, ICU, uh, ICU units um, in, in hospitals. Um, and they knew how to deal with the uh, with this tsunami uh, of cases that happened to take place in the um, early you know, early days of, of March in, in Europe um, at least and and, and Asia. Um, so being prepared and being trusted are two prerequisites for success. Mm. So there is a wonderful quote from Pasteur, the French biologist, who used to say, "Chance favors." the prepared mind, and it is so true. Uh, it's true in business, it's true uh, in the world of investing, and it's also true uh, in the world of, of um, you know, health. Individuals, so you've got a, a great chapter about individual resets, and I'm you know, obviously interested in that if, as an individual. What does that section of the book cover, and what advice do you have for us as individuals in, during the COVID-19 epidemic? So yeah, we have three parts, we have macro, um, um, the big categories that I just talked about. We have mm -hmm. micro industries and business and individual. Um, uh, so in individuals, we just um, um, cover the surface of what, what the pandemic means for, for each of us. Uh, you know, we're all human beings, of course, um, and the pandemic is primarily affecting us as, as human beings. So, um, you know, we, we, we flirt with several ideas um, one of which consists in talking about um, uh, introspection. Uh, big existential shocks like a pandemic when you are um, experiencing the fear of dying, um, which um, you know, so many people experience over the past few, few months, yeah. um, are a vehicle for introspection. So we start with thinking much more, in much more depth about what, what matters to us. Um, we may change our priorities, for example. We may pay attention to, to things that were deemed as not being too important and who suddenly, which suddenly become so important. Um, at the moment, there is a phenomenal question mark regarding um, what economists call habit formation. Um, you know, we are changing our uh, ways of consuming uh, that were prompted by the pandemic. We had to stay at home. Um, we we uh, we had to socialize in a different manner. Um, we had to cook at home because we couldn't go outside. So uh, will this change um, become uh, permanent, um, uh, or, or are they just transient changes? What does it mean? Uh, are we going to uh, pay more attention to the phenomenon of, of overconsumption? You know, uh, mm. the world is beset by overconsumption. We consume too much stuff that we don't need. Um, uh, spending a lot of money on, on, on things and economic goods that are not um, conducive of greater well-being. So what, what is the point? May we reconsider our attitude um, and vis-a-vis -vis consumption, for example? Um, are we going to socialize in different ways, etc., etc.? So all these are possibly changing priorities that we investigate in this sub-chapter. There is a, a sub-chapter which is I think very, very important, devoted to mental health. Mm. Um, the pandemic has triggered an explosion in mental health problems um, with you know, fundamental questions about um, uh, what it means moving forward. Uh, for example, you know, the, there is a spate of studies uh, conducted, 
among children who, who missed schools for, for so many weeks and sometimes months. Uh, it may be that they miss school um, in, the, you know, in the autumn as well, um, considering what's happening at the moment. So yeah. you know, how will this affect their behavior? And how will it affect um, our mental health, all of us? Uh, there is a spike in, uh, in burnout cases. Um, we saw that working from home for those who can afford it, um, who are privileged enough to be able to work from home, mm. was, a, was a solution to our problems of commuting, etc. In reality, working from home poses many problems, psychological problems for so many people. So it's still, um, we're still at an early stage. Um, there is a lot of research happening at the moment in this sphere, um, but we might have a generation uh, totally, um, totally um, obsessed and affected by, by mental health problems because of what happened during the pandemic and the lockdown, which has been traumatizing for so many people. Terry. Yeah. Uh, you have a company called The Monthly Barometer. What services do, does that provide? Well, The Monthly Barometer is a very succinct predictive newsletter on macro issues that I send to uh, decision makers around the world. It's one page only. Uh, it's supplemented by other things. I have a weekly selection of op-ed that help make sense of what's happening around the world. I have a COVID economic note that I send um, uh, twice a month, etc. But the core product, which is a monthly barometer, try to connect the dots between these three, five macro categories I was mentioning earlier. And um, we, we try to get the big macro calls right for our clients and, and investors. So trying to, you know, at the moment, um, a big macro call, for example, is um, um, will, will the US dollar lose its exorbitant privilege um, because of what's happening mm. with the pandemic? Um, how the growing rivalry between the uh, US and China is going to evolve. Um, are we going to face um, deglobalization, et cetera, et cetera. So these are some of the issues that we try to, 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 to explain to, um, to, to our clients with some predictive value. Uh, we, we make a call on how they're going to evolve. Um, it's just one page. And then um, if our clients want to dig uh, deeper, um, they turn to us, and a bit like you, um, we, 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 we use our network, which is a great network of about 3,000 prominent thinkers and decision makers around the world, to shed light on, on the issue of relevance to our clients. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I'll have the details of your website in the show notes so people can go and have a look. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, your LinkedIn details, people can contact you there. Of course, uh, yeah. And so, thank you so much. I, I well, really thank you so much for having me. It was a privilege to be on your podcast. I, mean, I loved reading your book. And so thank you very, very much for COVID-19, The Great Reset. Uh, I'm, I really, it gave me a better insight into what's happening with the world and how to, how to contact, uh, combat it and go forward. And I hope The Great Reset does happen in the world and the world does emerge a better place after COVID-19 than it was before. So do I, of course. <laughs> so thank you, Terry. I really appreciate you. And I hope Thank you, the listener, found this interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm.co.za and the website is www.ideastorm.co.za. Until next time, goodbye.